Hey, it's Ash. Welcome to Flicks and Scoops, where I'm combining my passion for film and love of ice cream. Each episode, I ask my guests to pick a film, and then make an ice cream inspired by the film, and then we sit around and chat about the film while we eat the ice cream. And if I didn't just say the words enough, then film and ice cream just for good measure. This episode, I'm joined by my good friend Stuart Yarlett, fellow film enjoyer and ice cream eater. I am a professional procrastinator, and this episode was filmed ages ago, so Stu is now an actual doctor with a real-life PhD. I first met Stu when we were teenagers, and our shared love of cinema paved the way for a glorious friendship, during which, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying, I single-handedly influenced his taste in films. In this instalment, we're talking about Stanley Kubrick's 1964 Cold War satire, Doctor Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. I hate stating the obvious, but here's a spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the film and would rather watch it before giving us a listen, then it's advisable. And even if you have seen it before, watch it again, because it's bloody great. Otherwise, thanks for joining us for Flicks and Scoops episode one. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. All right, Flicks and Scoops, number one, here with Stuart Yarlett. Hello. Good friend of mine. Uh, plug yourself, who are you? Um, Peg yourself. I'm Stu. I'm kind of in a transitionary period of life right now. Um, finished doing a little bit of studying, about to go out to Palestine, probably, maybe. But in the interim, I figured I'd come to Berlin See you uh, get some ice cream. I've harangued, <laughs> harangued him into doing this uh, for some free ice cream, obviously. Um, today is uh, num- number one, Doctor, yeah. Doctor Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Yeah. How, how, do you, how do you, actually, how do you think he meant the title to be read? I, I think, well, Happy with with I just did more, it, I'd have liked a bit more pronounced. Uh, Go on then. Like, uh, it sounds like an announcer, like Doctor Strangelove, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Uh, more emphasis on love the I'll bomb. G- I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Okay. So the the premise of the podcast, I guess, for now. Sorry, could, could I just so when you read it out in that plain Jane way, did you do that knowing it wasn't supposed to be that plain? I'm just <laughs> I'm just interested in what goes into podcasts. I've never done one before. So. Neither, neither have I. This is all very uh, guinea piggy. Okay. But the the reason I went for the announcer's voice is because... I will move on. It was fine. It was good. I enjoyed doing it. Well, at least let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the announcer's voice was, uh, you know, like an airbase. Yeah. I was trying to make it film appropriate. Oh, right. Okay. So there was some thought. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, I didn't just mindlessly regurgitate what I'm reading directly on the IMDb page right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how this podcast is going to go either, but the the thought behind it was that you pick a film. Yeah, We, we did cheat a little bit this time, actually, because it's the first one. It's a work yeah. in progress. So Doctor Strangelove we chose because we had another one planned, which I won't say right now, maybe. Yeah, that's something for them to get excited about. If anyone's listening... Doubtful. Episode two. <laughs> Hi, mum. Uh, <laughs> so the we choose a film, talk about the film, and then I 
make an ice cream based on the film. And for this ice cream, which obviously nobody can see, but maybe we could... I can the, describe it. It's kind the ice of, cream balls a little bit. Kind of a, are we supposed to start eating this already, by the way? Yeah, I've, I've, started, I've started, started eating it, yeah. I, I, was, I was thinking we were going to do the first spoon together. And then yeah, that would be better. Let's, yeah, like, it yeah, would have been. It would have been. Do you well, want to like do I it? I can just pretend that I've not eaten it. That's a better idea. I got a bit greedy, but we should take the first spoon together. I think yeah. that's fair. So the ice cream that we've gone for is tea, honey and whiskey. And it's kind of, if you want a description, it's kind of a pale brown tea colour. It's exactly what you'd expect, like, Yorkshire tea to look like. Well, funny you mention. ice cream form. Because that's what I used. I'm going to get yeah. some, I'm going to try and get some squidgy ice cream. And w- why tea flavoured, Ash? Well, let's go into that in a minute. We can make that okay. the first point, but first spoon. Oh, so before, before you do, actually, I should say, you get a good... the, the, the taste buds are on the tongue. So actually the best way to eat it is to get a spoonful, kind of flip it upside down. Oh, right. And and Yeah. Oh, because I've seen them do it in like adverts and stuff, movies when they do ice cream tasting. I thought that was just because usually it's a woman that does it in the adverts. I thought it was just to make it look... More sensual. More sensual, Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. But you've probably seen that meme with the guy who's... I think he eats ice cream, so he's like... Yeah. Mm. You know, so they do it like straight onto the tongue. Well, yes. you're not like, I mean, if it's an incredibly cold ice cream, that's just going to get you might True. Be a bit much. But this is, luckily, this isn't cold. This is, no, it's, it's kind of room it's, temperature. It's melting it's right mel- now. It's <laughs> melting pretty quickly. Mel- actually. Yeah, it's melting at a pace. I'm shocked. Really. <laughs> okay. And if you mm. get brain food, you, if mm. you just put the tongue to the roof of your mm. mouth. Mm hmm. Thoughts? And yeah. you, can, you can be honest, by the way. So, yeah, I get a bit of the tea. There's a lot of honey at the end. But I don't think it, it goes nicely with the tea. It's just like having a tea with honey and put in ice cream form. I think it works. The, the um, honey definitely comes through the most, I think. Yeah. But yeah. I also use vanilla in this one. Yeah. I think maybe it would be a good idea to put the recipes on the website. Yeah, that would be. That would, um, would be a good idea. Um, and I think when I do that, I'll take out the uh, vanilla because it's, it's quite well, sweet with the honey. You and me have discussed vanilla numerous times before because I actually like rate vanilla yeah, as, as a, a flavour. as a bit of background, cream. I'm not the biggest fan of vanilla ice cream. It seems like Well, a you bit... frequently harangue me. <laughs> for liking vanilla. Well, I think it's just a bit of a cop out. Like, if you're going to eat ice cream, at but least this, pick a flavour. So this is this is the thing. He thinks vanilla is a plain flavour, and I've explained. If you look into the history of vanilla, it was always recognised as a very strong flavour. I'm sure, like, but that was the that's... Aztecs knew it. This, exactly when they first got in, Aztecs. Like the Spaniards. We're in knew the initially. we're in the 21st century now, where so we've got the Aztecs. Scientific sugar used to always do vanilla in their hot chocolate drinks. And they just, with chocolate, which is a very strong flavour, especially how the Aztecs had it, they just put a dash of vanilla in. And it would, like, it would be there with the chocolate. But as a flavour flavor enhancer, like, you wouldn't... But, but you, see, this is the problem. You've tried to match it with a very delicate flavour, i.e. tea, thinking vanilla's some pansy-ass tea plain flavour. Tea is arguably flavor. not that, that, that just... weaker flavour. I use Yorkshire tea, which is pretty... 
Well, right, but you've learned the power of vanilla now because the vanilla is is powering through, right? Well, yeah, and I won't be using it in this ice cream again. So yeah, you shouldn't. Right, it's 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 its own thing. For for me, the right, the, the, the honey is the biggest the thing. thing. Is, the whiskey, after, you can kind of yeah, you get a bit of an afterburn on it, but it's not yeah, a little touch. Yeah, but I mean, would you want too much whiskey? Because that's going to affect. I mean, it's already melting pretty quickly. <laughs> And well, it's nice. It's also, nice I should explain as this is the first episode, we're not in a studio with air conditioning. We're actually sat in my bedroom. Uh, so there may be a few chair clicks, traffic honks, whatever. Yeah. We'll deal with it when it comes to it. I'm going to quickly eat this before it fully melts and turn yeah. into an actual drink of cold tea. Vanilla infused. Also, not a fan of like sweet teas and stuff. Yeah, you're not. No. You used I to pre- be. I used to be, but I prefer Back really in the good brew. That's how I first met you. I used to call you 10 Sugars Air. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, builders I, I've moved on. I've weaned myself off yeah. the, the sugar. Now I'll just dump it all into ice cream and eat that instead. But um, I mean, uh, That's one way to do it. Do you realise that fluoridation is the most monstrously conceived and dangerous communist plot we have ever had to face? So as a bit of background for the flavour, uh, one of the one of the big things in in the film, Doctor Strangelove, is what's his name, General uh, General, uh, isn't it Ripper? Uh, Book, uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, books that yeah, Ripper, General Ripper, yeah, 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 General Ripper, yeah, yeah, General Ripper goes on about a fluoride conspiracy to a quote you heard cream. about the beginning about fluoridated ice cream is from uh, General Ripper in the film. Because he's obsessed with fluoridation. Yeah, so uh, we had a look at um, in what foods fluoride is naturally quite occurring, and uh, tea happened to be one of those. In fact, it was the top one. It was the top one. Yeah. Still completely safe levels, though. Just seeing anyone who's worried about fluoridation, uh, like General Ripper, probably not to the same extent. I mean, uh, I think it's a bit of a ridiculous conspiracy, fluoridation. I think the evidence is that it does wonders for your teeth and very little. I've risk. never seen or heard anybody, unless maybe they've chugged actual fluoride, that's had any bad side effects. Well, the thing, like, fluoride, fluoride's naturally mm-hmm. occurring in a lot of food and um, in a lot of water anyway. And that's how they, I think that's how they noticed it, is that the countries that had more naturally occurring fluoride in their water didn't experience as much tooth decay. Yeah. So it's like, get yeah. a bit of fluoride in the water. And back in like, only a few decades ago, people used to like, just get the teeth all removed and replaced with fake teeth. Yeah, all four of my grandparents had uh, full sets of false teeth. They used to, you know, like classic cartoon style, where they keep them in a glass of water on the bedside table. All of them had that. So the... Tea is for the fluoride. The whiskey, that's that's also Ripper. With his grain alcohol. Love yeah. grain alcohol. And insistence on drinking nothing but rainwater and grain alcohol. Didn't put um, any rainwater in there, no. Didn't, didn't put rainwater in. The weather's been not too bad the past few days, but um, the, the whiskey was part of that. Couldn't get my hands on any ethanol. Yeah. I also don't think that, I think that would have ruined... The ice cream completely. 
Yeah, I mean, it's good for a bit of a kick, but you don't want to... You can't perfectly fall in line with the film. You you want a nice product at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, I think this entire concept of jamming de- together ice cream and <laughs> films is a bit ridiculous anyway, but here we are. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, this is nice. This is Naysayer. Naysaying is no good for anybody. On the first episode, uh, maybe you'll be back on number 200 when... Well, I'm back number two. Well, you are back number two, but <laughs> maybe also 202. Maybe Matthew McConaughey will be 201, and then you can be 202. Yeah. <laughs> we can assess how it's gone. Um, and the honey, the honey and the ice cream was... Why was that? Oh, I, I thought the, the whiskey may be a bit too too much with the tea. But really... To put in a bit of the honey for it. it. Really, it's the honey that's too much. It's the honey that's too much, and yeah... It's it's good. With it's good. Vanilla, but like, um, for a first go, it's a very nice ice cream. Cool, I agree. It's that you can actually taste the whiskey quite a bit more now. The nice melted, yeah, nice more mm, yeah. liquid. Yeah, um, it's pretty much a drink. All right. Well, I think that's enough ice cream discussion, especially seeing as people can't either see or taste it. Uh, so let's um, let's chat about the film. So. The first, I think the first time I saw it, I was maybe 14, I think. Yeah. It was about the same for you. Um, I think... Uh, yeah, I think I watched it in my room when I was quite young. And, like, I don't think I... I I'm not sure if the first time I gave it my full attention. Because I think it was a bit of a sleepy day. And I was like... Uh, but... I enjoyed it, and uh, I think I watched it again after that. Didn't have we never watched this film together before? I've never watched this film with you before. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time. But I think I think the first time I watched it was in my room. Uh, yeah, because uh, obviously everyone's seen like homages to it and parodies of, especially the the, the cowboy on the bomb. Yeah, yeah. The cowboy riding the bomb. I mean, that's in the Simpsons and everything. And I think when I first watched it, I was just looking for, what is that film where someone rides a bomb down? Well, I think, especially when I was younger, they used to do all those things on Channel 4, you know, the um, best 100, 100 greatest films ever or something yeah. like that. And I always used to watch that, and so I used to uh, make lists of films that I thought yeah, I used to yeah, well. I'd be quite interested in, and then watched it. Um, I haven't watched it for ages, but enjoyed it way, way more this yeah. time. I mean, I think you get it slightly more. Of course, of course. Well, you enjoy different things about it. I mean, the first, the first few times I saw it, it was more about the, the slapsticky, uh, strange love. What him, George like, C. Scott bits. Yeah, yeah, exactly that kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas this time, and I, I think you were the same, but uh, yeah. it was the it was the smaller things like uh, Mandrake. Yeah. His little throwaway lines. Yeah, I mean, hand set down. I thought Mandrake was well. It's. All three of like the big characters, apart from who's the guy who got the the Oscar who played the the general in the war room? And he yeah, George C. Yeah, Scott. Yeah, yeah. He didn't win it for that, but did he not get? It? Okay, no, no, no. It, I, I don't even think he was nominated for this. He won it for Patton, but never accepted it. Oh right, okay. I thought he got it for this. I thought he. Got, he got no, two. I don't even think. It, well, I'll, I'll check um, it out, but I don't think he got nominated for this. But uh, yeah, I think all of uh, Peter Sellers' performances were fantastic. Uh, I think um, 
the more understated like Mandrake and um yeah the president were uh, were my favorite because I, I suppose that a lot of the humor came from the fact that nuclear war was coming and then there was a lot of this well Mandrake's like this classic awkward humor of like uh, a British person trying to kind of yeah, the British Joke, polite but, yeah. awkwardness, but, but doesn't want to. But what he's actually trying to accomplish is, is stop this General Ripper from causing the apocalypse, but yeah. nuclear Armageddon. Uh, so, yeah, and they just the, the lines there were quite funny. And then, uh, I mean, my favourite scene I think has always been, I think the first time round as well, probably was um, the president on the the phone to the. Uh, the, the the president Premier. yeah that's such a good set piece of comedy because the character building that he does from just one side of the phone conversation is unmatched yeah yeah and you get completely how the russian premier is going off on him yeah 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 um, and it's almost kind of like a married couple talking to each other like the fact they're the two leaders of the um, the two major superpowers in this cold war right which is Quite a funny, funny little way of doing it. Well, I was trying to think of other films that had uh, one-way phone conversations in that were anywhere near as good as that, and I couldn't, I couldn't really think of any. Yeah. I had to have a look. Did honest. you find any? I didn't. I, well, I, I found some, but it was like um, Taken, yeah, and things like that. So that's completely one-sided. No, so I'm, I'm sure there's a comedy was, where it's not, it's not one-sided, but you, you hear like just noises coming from the other side of the phone. Yeah, like the high pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's a lot of that in comedies. Um, i trying to think. Um, no, not off the top of my head. <laughs> what have you found, some? Not one-way ones. Usually as both people either on screen or... Oh, there's, there's one in Big Lebowski where he's uh, talking to Walter when he's doing the chair, right, and he's saying, um, no, I did not think Larry was about to break. There's that one, yeah. The, the, um, another another well, popular your... one from yeah. uh, Big Lebowski was um, when Walter's in the car and he's yeah. kicking off about it being the, the Shabbath and, he's, and then he comes over anyway. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, I knew it was an emergency, dude. Um, I understand that, dude, man. <laughs> Other... Yeah, so a lot of like, uh, yeah, obviously Big Lebowski had that with Walter a lot. But it's different because you knew Walter's character beforehand, whereas this one, the character of the Russian Premier, I think, had to the, be I done think the only entirely time... by Peter Sellers. Yeah, and I think yeah. the only time actually the, the um, Dimitri's ever mentioned is either before or after a phone conversation because there's, the, there's yeah. the Russian guy in the war room. Yeah, the, yeah, the ambassador. The ambassador. Yeah. But also, like, one thing I don't think I picked on, up on as, like, a young teenager quite so much is uh, the reason um, that the guy, the General Ripper who starts the whole nuclear one starts them flying off. Um, oh, should, are we going to say spoilers before this whole thing? Or is it yeah, I was, I was thinking that. I think, I think maybe I'll uh, put a warning up for spoilers. I don't think it's such a big deal. I reckon if people are listening to this, they've most likely seen the film before. Yeah, like picking up on the, the fact that he got... So essentially, this uh, general gets obsessed with this uh, Floridation conspiracy, that it's, it's a communist conspiracy to, to weaken 
the essence of American um, fluids. Uh, Bodily fluids. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and it's like from a real conspiracy that was around, like, well, it's still around now, fluoridation. When, when did it when did it get big though? Because was it? Well, I think it was like, the fifties, right? No, so I think fluoridation started. Water fluoridation started immediately after, like pretty much nineteen forty five, nineteen forty six, like it says in the film, and um, and that's why it fed into like Cold War conspiracy because it's like it starts as soon as the Cold War does, and if you had conspiracies during the uh, Cold War, how are you going to explain it away? It's it's a communist plot, which is probably like quite helpful to rather than being a government plot. Well, yeah, not United, necessarily government. But I like think it was nineteen eighty four. Was it not like some right wing conservative group that were really pushing the the fluoride um, uh, conspiracy? Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, there was all, all those big red scare things about um, communists trying to infiltrate society, which uh, some people on YouTube managed to talk about now. Which is a bit, uh, a bit silly from my perspective. One of our base commanders, he had a sort of, well, he went a little funny in the head. You know, just a little funny. And uh, he went and did a silly thing. Recognising that um, the reason he'd come to this conclusion that the communists were definitely fluoridating the water and weakening Americans through through what was uh, after a, a bad sexual experience where he lacked potency. And do you think and that was do you think that was more of a comment on masculinity at the time or the general American uh, populace ego that kind of thing? I think so I think the whole thing is like a criticism of mutually assured destruction and mad and I think um, I think that whole thing was like just imagining like the kind of human frailty and the human errors and the small things that uh, could set it off and make it go wrong. Yeah. And I think it, given the magnitude of what he'd done to prevent that, I think it was just humorous that it was, it was based on um, his insecurities about his masculinity, which, uh, I mean, is a thing that happens right yeah, yeah of course still uh, have you read the, have you read the book that it's based on no i haven't read read alert. yeah no have i no uh i, I do know it's supposed to be more more serious well obviously yeah, yeah, more yeah, yeah. serious but um so it'd be interesting to see how much of it yeah i doubt uh that part will be in a serious book no but yeah. it'd be i'd like to know how much was based on the like flora conspiracy that kind of thing like what yeah. what made him Lose his shit in the first place. Hey, are you a little bit lightheaded from the whiskey in it? No. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I'm not much of a drinker. <laughs> it's um, nice though. I like the whiskey. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, the uh, the fluoridation conspiracy theory. It was from a real life radical group called the John Birch Society, which was founded in 1958, small town America. Oh right, yeah. Okay. Water fluoridation were banned in several areas of the country back then yeah which would have stoked the conspiratorial fires yeah i mean like there's people going back and forth i think the majority medical consensus is that it's not the benefits outweigh the risks by quite a margin 
but then people say one side downplays the risks, one side, and it's just. But this is the nature of like conspiracies: is you can't ever fully, can't prove a negative, right? No. Have you always been big into the Cold War and the Cuban Missile Crisis? Um. I don't. So I've always been a bit of a history nerd. Like my granddad was a history teacher. I don't think when I was a kid that wasn't like my main area of interest. I was more into Romans and Greeks and ancient history. Yeah. And I think as I've got now that I'm older, I do like enjoy a bit of uh, modern history of the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, I'm interested in. The, I believe it's the closest we ever came to. Um, like nuclear war, nuclear war. nuclear war, yeah. Um, so I've I've watched a few um, videos on YouTube, right? Which is generally the way you learn about things nowadays. I haven't, I've never read a book on the Cuban Missile Crisis, but um, yeah, it's quite interesting. Like a lot, one thing a lot of people don't realize is that, uh, or don't realize is that when they the Russians started placing, uh, trying to move missiles to Cuba. That in a way was a, a response to the um, Americans having missiles in Turkey, and that was one of the agreements they came to when it, they eventually all backed down and went away. Was that um, they'd remove their missiles from Cuba if America uh, removed them from Turkey? Yeah, then, so it's uh, like yeah. the well, as in the film, the the game theory of like. Yeah, trying to deter your uh, opponent from make either making a yeah. move or the first move. So the theory was that because they had missiles in Cuba, they could hit uh, Russia a lot easier than Russia could hit America. And then once they had them in Cuba, they could they could set them up. In, but they were trying to do it like um, really quickly and hidden so that. But by the time they'd got them into Cuba, they were already there, and then the Americans couldn't respond. But they did find out, and then there was a blockade going on. And I think, I think Gorbachev was not Gorbachev, um, Khrushchev. Khrushchev. It was Khrushchev at the time. Uh, Gorbachev was the one that ended it all. Um, but I think his plan was to use Cuba as a way of like pressuring concessions from the Americans in Turkey and such forth. I don't know, but it's all all madness, really, isn't it? I've got more. I've got more into that. Side official now, particularly since living in in Berlin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to come across as that douchey. I live in Berlin, guy. But yeah, it is easier to develop an appreciation for it when you're in the hub of it all. Yeah. Uh, but when I was younger, I always used to think the Cold War was just a war that was fought in really cold places. <laughs> which is why Russia was involved uh, yeah. and then I never understood why uh, because like the, I mean calling it a cold war is a bit because obviously there were a lot of proxy wars that were hot wars with firing like Vietnam it was shooting Korean war so and America fought in the Korean war and I think the Soviets probably saw, and yeah well the Chinese did right so but the two major powers didn't go to war because if they did, they had too many nuclear weapons. Uh, I mean, you were, because you're a bit older than me, and I was. It's weird to think I was born sh- like a year after the Cold War 
ended. So you're, because you're two years older than me, right? Or you're a year older than me. I'm I'm a year older than you, but I was born in 88, so it was a year before the... It was a year the, before it came yeah. down. I mean, of course, I don't remember the war coming so down. So the USSR was still... I think the USSR was still there when I was born. Possibly. I never quite realised how many little lines I'd missed from seeing it before. Like, now from speaking very basic German. In Berlin. Is, um, when Buck says, uh, Strange love, what kind of a kraut name is that anyway? And the name that he says he's changed it from is McVerkdig Lieber, which is just strange love in German. <laughs> so, he <didn't, laughs> so, so he didn't even try and adopt uh, like an American style name. It just straight up well, <laughs> translated. That's, that's, what they, that's what they did like, a lot of time in But sure that, Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I mean, like, especially yeah, at yeah. that time in, in the... Um, I mean, when was this made? Sixty-two. So that was that was very soon after the after the Second World War. I would imagine that if the, if there were any Germans changing their names, they probably would have. I mean, it's a common thing. Like a lot of, uh, I think a lot of Jewish people uh, did it as well. That had like German Jewish names. Sure, but more so to to get away from the yeah, Germanic yeah, yeah. side of it. Surely. Yeah. yeah. But it, it makes sense that, um, like, fleeing Nazis would have done that as well. But they'd probably change their names completely. I mean, you're right. But, uh, well, I, I see your point. It was probably the uh, ones on the wrong side of history would have completely changed their names. Yeah. If, if you want to keep some part but of But, I mean, heritage. he was like... he was. So I went to the... Um, and it was a thing that a lot of um, Gestapo agents and SS agents got jobs in the um, American intelligence agencies and British intelligence agencies, like MI6, MI5, CIA. Um, yeah, and like a lot of the physicists got jobs getting into NASA, because especially with the Cold War going on, um, the will to persecute other Nazis kind of did dwindle after a while. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a bit... Where, it's a where, bit of a scandal. How, how do you think? Where do you think they found Strange? Where, where do you, where do you think they hired him from? I mean, maybe they picked him up directly, or maybe maybe he was wheeling around Argentina for a while. It's just a critique of how um, the Cold War and the war with the Russians, like, um, kind of um, compelled or yeah, America to um, adopt a lot of these Nazi scientists. To use it because he's being used for his like knowledge of nuclear weapons and physics, and then that's the whole thing at the end is because he gets excited because nuclear Armageddon can cause him to finally achieve the the kind of Nazi vision. Yeah. Of uh, well, that that was really pure. That was always another thing that went over my head when I was young. I thought it was hilarious, but the whole shtick with the arm. Yeah. Uh, I know you mentioned it briefly before. You thought it was some psychological thing, but because of all the similarities in terms of uh, set design, aesthetics, that kind of thing, to Fritz Lang's Metropolis in particular, there's a character in that. Have you have you seen Metropolis? Um, parts. 
If I did watch it all the way through, it was a long time ago. Yeah. It's the one where it starts with the gong and there's a city and there's that like robot woman. Right? Precisely, precisely. But there's a character in that, um can't remember the guy's name, but he's he's got a hand with a black glove that yeah. and his arm's mechanical, which a lot of people have noted as similar to Strange Love. Yeah. You, as we've discussed, have a different theory of that. Yeah, which is which is more psychological, I guess. Yeah, just to give some context, we spoke about the hand very briefly before, and Stuart suggested it was some sort of uh, psychological. Yeah, it's like his suppressed uh, Nazi inclinations and habits, which makes it uncontrollable. And Nazi, right? I was reading around and. There's a thing called alien hand syndrome. I'm I'm just reading this from Wikipedia now, but alien hand syndrome is a condition which a person experiences their limbs acting seemingly on their own without control of their actions. The term is used for a variety of clinical conditions and most commonly affects the left hand. Uh, many similar names used to describe the various forms of condition, but they are often used inappropriately. Afflicted person may sometimes reach for objects and manipulate them without wanting to do so, even to the point of having to use a controllable hand to restrain the alien hand, which would actually fit in because there's the bit when he can't get the the fag out of his hand. Um, So you you think it's more alien hand syndrome? Yeah, well, I think that's more satisfying and makes more sense. Well, because like his arm starts behaving more erratically when he's talking about um, like going down, selecting the perfect people with the right intelligence, the right, like, and basically doing um, ethnic, like cleansing and ethnic selection in the wake of this nuclear attack. When he's talking about all that, it's essentially in line with his Nazi ideology. That's when his hand starts getting more and more excited. So it seems like it's more connected to his excitement based on his like his views than it is um than it is like a mechanical arm that's just doing because it's the erraticism of his arm is connected to what he's talking about right yeah so and i think that's quite because and also the funny thing is it's it's the joke is that it's revealing like how much of a like nazi he actually was and yet he's being used by the americans and it's it's because he keeps accidentally calling him Fuhrer as well instead of president, which is part of the same joke as with his arm. It's just more exaggerated. And if you say it's just a mechanical arm, that's just like doesn't that then that part of the the joke in the story and that darker side to the joke going on because it is a dark comedy is no longer there. It's just a mechanical arm. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. People who think it's mechanical. Yeah, you've got Metropolis and stuff, but I think they, they need to well, the other thing sit was down that and have a long it, hard it Originally, he wasn't even supposed to have a glove on his hand, but yeah. uh, he saw he saw Kubrick faffing about with lights on set, and the the lights, particularly by then, used to get incredibly hot, so you, had, you needed gloves to handle them. Yeah. And he saw Kubrick wearing these gloves and thought they looked dead sinister. So... Put it, put it on one hand. So I'm not entirely sure the mechanical. I mean, the, thing the t- black totally glove hand is like quite a famous like image of 
sinisterness and evil, I yeah. think. Yeah. Which must predate. I mean, maybe it don't predate Strange Love, but I imagine it does. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, well, yeah, but then Metropolis is what, 27? Yeah. Something like that? Maybe not predate Metropolis, yeah. I think Caligari, there's some gloved hand in. Oh, with, no, so they do it here with uh, Henry the Fourth in Shakespeare. He's got a gloved hand for his leprosy. And I think he committed regicide. And so it goes back to Shakespeare, I reckon, if I'm remembering that correctly. And he's always felt like really corrupted and it was punishing him for regicide that he got leprosy in this hand. So someone like covering up one hand is a sign of evil and wrongdoing is a uh, classic. I must confess, you have an astonishingly good idea there, Doctor. Thank you, sir. Um, Sellers notoriously improvised a lot of his performance. How much of the rest of the cast do you think improvised theirs? Um, I, yeah, I think Sellers was doing a lot. I think, um, I mean, Sellers played most of the, there was, so there's only him and the the two generals, really, that had big speaking parts. Yeah, yeah. And then the guy who, like, finds Mandrake and, like, has a gun pointed at him. Um, I think, um, who was the guy who got the Patton Oscar? I keep forgetting his name. Uh, George C. Scott. Jo- yeah. Mm. Sorry. Um, I think George C. Scott might have... Uh, improv quite a bit. Well, one of his most famous bits, um, when he fell over, that were accidental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was, yeah. The, there's there's loads of little tidbits like that. Probably that, one. Um, that, that I was looking about. Like, Sellers had to uh, tone down a lot of his performances just because the, the cast just couldn't keep the shit together when he was really? performing. Yeah, so the, the, the oh, president sh- yeah. um, initially was uh, supposed to have a cold. Yeah. So every time he was talking, Sellers was like pretend to sneeze and sniff and all that sort of stuff. But because of how funny it was, him pretending to have a cold, the the cast just couldn't keep it together. So they were doing like loads and loads of takes. So, yeah, yeah. I bet that really pissed Kubrick off that they couldn't keep it together. Yeah, but it also he he does love a lot of takes. So <laughs> yeah, no, but like to get to the point where Kubrick's like, okay, we've done too many takes. Turn it down a bit. So, guys, the point where Kubrick saying we're doing too many takes. Uh, yeah. That must have been insane. Man I. Yeah. Um, that's a shame, though. That's really sad that you don't have the. the uh, I suppose it's still hilarious. Like, you're still very good. I don't buy think that, that there, are, there are funnier versions. I'm surprised they're not on YouTube, to be honest. I don't buy Blu ray anymore, but I would have thought that if they were on there in the special features or whatever that somebody would have uploaded. But it was from 1964, right? And maybe they, sure, didn't, maybe they didn't keep the... Keeping all the the B-reels and that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. But I think the pie fight's on Oh, yeah, yeah, YouTube. yeah. But so the, 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 the actual ending of the film that was initially scripted was that the, the war room was supposed to break out in a huge uh, pie... Like yeah, clown lemon meringue pie fight, which would have made your ice cream flavor, which, which would have been a good flavor for the ice cream, but um, it's not in the actual film. It's not in the actual film. I thought it was like yeah. Well, yeah. that's why they took it out because it was it was too slapstick. I was thinking that so um, George C. Clark's character, General 
George C. Scott. George, one more strike and you're out, man. George C. Scott, his character, like, um, I did enjoy like his interactions with his like secretary slash mistress girlfriend, like the way he knew that the world could be coming to an end and everything was, and he's still like talking to her, like romancing her and being like, "Don't worry, baby, I'll be right back." And, yeah. Like talking like they were going to do all this romance. It just that dis, yeah. A lot of the human frames seem to be like this this disconnect between like in just continuing his life, this um, philandering woman uh, womanizer. Do you think he was married? Being aware, uh, it wouldn't have surprised me. Yeah, it wouldn't have surprised me. It seemed to fit the kind of character. And also the how he got excited about like the cap- military capabilities of America, and then would realize, um, yeah, that it meant the destruction of the world yeah. essentially. Well, I've been to one world fair, a picnic, and a rodeo, and that's the stupidest thing I ever heard come over a set of earphones. One character that we haven't mentioned yet is Kong. Um, so Kubrick never told the actor. Slim Pickens, that it was a comedy film. Yeah. So which one was... Is he the one... He's on the, the cowboy hat. Oh, the pilot, yeah. The, yeah, the, we haven't spoken about him. Which I um, about. Kubrick had him play it completely straight. Nobody told him it was a comedy film. Yeah. And the other actors in the plane with him thought he was just staying in character, even when it wasn't filming. They didn't, they didn't believe that he spoke like that in, in real life. So... What Slim Pickens? Yeah, I think he was renowned for doing war films, but I've only seen him in Blazing Saddles. Was that before? When did Blazing Saddles come out? Um, seventy-four. Yeah, so ten years after. So you probably got in Blazing Saddles on the back of this film, probably. So did he bring Some his own cowboy hat? Then? Well, he was from the South, so I imagine he did take a lot of pride in. Owning a boss cowboy hat. Yeah, I've been to Texas before and like a bunch of them wear. Did you get a hat? Uh, no, I didn't get one from Texas. I've got a. I mean, I brought a hat here to uh, to your abode in Germany. <laughs> Which I should say looks like a bit of a Indiana Jones ripoff with a little bit of crocodile Dundee well, it's lining this, around like, there. <laughs> it's a hat my uh, parents bought me from Australia. I'm like, I mean, it looks a bit much sometimes, but I prefer the all the way round hats when I do wear them because I'm a very fair skin and I catch the sun and I like, I like to know if I need protection and I like to know it's all round protection. The other thing that I was trying to think of as well in the film... Cause also, the... I thought um, <laughs> Berlin would have liked the uh, the leather. Maybe. The leather of the hat. But you've not even worn it. Well, that's because you, you poo pooed it and mocked it like immediately, and told me with, that, with good reason. Well, like, you, I, I think you're worried to test it out. You're just telling me everything I've chosen doesn't fit with the Berlin look, but I feel, I feel. Well, you came dressed as a marionette. You're worried that I'll go out and like it will just start a new trend in Berlin. Is what I think. Well, I'll buy into your imagined reality for now. Just to just to keep the uh, the, the, flow. the flow going. Uh, <laughs> you can't stumble over words like flow. Man. I was curious to find out where the humming song, what is it? Uh, 
where that came from, and it's a, a Civil War song. American Civil War. American Civil War. Uh, Johnny Goes to War. Isn't it? I thought it was had marching in the title. Uh, well, let me double check. Yeah. <laughs> uh, misremembered. Uh, it's, it's called When Johnny Comes Marching Home. <laughs> All right, so... There's nothing about so Johnny, going jo- Johnny Goes to War. That's the one before that. That was, <laughs> that was a prequel. The one, the one that she's in the film is uh, When Johnny Comes Marching Home. Uh, and... I was wondering if you if you think it was chosen specifically for the uh, for the war terms, or if you if you just well, where's we've just established is it good, <laughs> less war terms than originally thought. Um, no, I think it was it was chosen. Like, obviously, despite the fact that it's called Johnny Goes Marching Home, I think it, I imagine it was like a drumming song that they used for marching around and into battle. Yeah, yeah, that makes Civil sense. War. It's got that kind of tone and. Um, uh, the the other famous use of it, well, I say famous, but it's the one that I could remember was uh, "Die Hard with a Vengeance." It's in. There's a version of it in Ants. Ah, uh, you know when they yeah, go to fight the termite. I don't remember it so much. Got though. different lyrics. I was always more of a Bugs Life guy. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's I was pretty big on Disney choice. as a kid. Like, who nicked the concept from? Because Ants and Bugs Life, there's a lot of controversy, isn't it? I think. Because like some of the people knew each other and had spoken to each other, they kind of raced to make this. Ah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah and there was a big, for yeah, Pixar. Pixar and would it have been? Sony Studios? I don't I remember don't know, the company, but didn't some guy at Pixar get butthurt about not getting a job or something, and then bailed to this other company and tried getting ants out before? Uh, Pixar drop. But anyway, there's a version of that marching. Johnny goes marching home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when Johnny goes marching to war. In uh, yeah, in ants. Um, yeah, I think it's just it's just got that classic. We're going off to war because they start playing it when the plane starts flying off to drop this um, bomb. I suppose, no, I mean, it's pushing it too far, but the idea that these boys in the plane they still got this idea that they're soldiers, like, back in the Civil War, but really the technology is such that it's not really yeah. that much of a game anymore. Although the American Civil War was, uh, like, huge amount of death, really, because that was, that was when the weaponry was written, not quite as much as, like, the First World War, but really got... Really quite good. Much better than they were expecting. <laughs> Jack, don't you think we'd be better off in some other part of the room away from all this flying glass? <laughs> no, 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 we're okay here. What was your favourite scene? I mean, as I said earlier... Yeah, I, I um, forgot. When the, I think when the president's on the phone to Dimitri. Oh, uh, yeah, so yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe you just cut that bit and put it <laughs> here. I don't know if you could do that. I don't know much about it's possible. editing. Um... But yeah, I'd, I'd say that. I, I did really enjoy the Mandrake scenes. And we haven't really... We spoke about that, but... Um, when he's when the general's going off to, like, commit suicide, 
And he's just following him and awkwardly talking. He just, hey, dropped your gun. <laughs> dropped your gun, John. And he's obviously just dropping it. That massive browning gun. Like he's just uh, giving a big speech about, like, when he sees God, can he answer for what he's done? And he's like, I think I can. And Mandrake's, I'm not sure if he, because he seems quite sharp, but he just maintains that uh, awkward demeanour. But at that point, it felt like he didn't realise he was going off. To shoot himself. Yeah, not at all. But I think I think he's wilier than we're led to believe. I know he goes on about the bit in the when he was in the prisoner of war camp and it sounds like he flanged out a bit. But and I don't know if it's scripting or if it was Sellers improv, but there seems to be more to it than meets the eye. Like the the bit when he's on the phone, when that soldier busts in after Ripper's shot himself. Yeah. There's a line when he's on the phone. Um, he says, he's, <clears throat> he's, he's gone as mad as a March hare. And uh, March is mating season for hares. And he's just been completely taken over by uh, libido. Uh, and Lust and ego. Yeah. So it's quite yeah. fitting. I mean, that makes sense. I thought mad as a March hare was quite a common turn of phrase there back in the day. I think yeah, it was a but, common it was a common turn of phrase in, in the day. Yeah. You don't know so much now, but yeah. I think what added to it was the fact that it's it's about it's a perfect yeah. description of what has actually happened. Yeah, to him. So it's not just because you know what March hares do, and they like they start like boxing each other. Have you ever seen that happen? I haven't. I've no, seen it once you? in a film. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's one time. Yeah, yeah. I just looked over and the two hairs like. Going at each other. Hairs I haven't seen so much. Maybe to memory two in the wild. Yeah. But I mean, you live in more of a rural country. Yeah, country. Yeah, that's area. true. I mean, yeah. Well, you live in Berlin now, eh? so. <laughs> Mr. President. We must not allow a mine shaft gap. Yeah. So about time we wrapped up. So, concluding thoughts, Ash, on the old Doctor Strange love. I'll ask the question. <laughs> so, any concluding thoughts, Stu? <laughs> um, I mean, Doctor Strange Love is a uh, charming, funny movie. Would you say it's more of a farcical satire or a satirical farce? Um, I think... Satirical farce, definitely, yeah. Okay. Satirical farce. All right. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> I think like it's it's probably the the best. Like I don't know how you feel about the Pink Pan- Panther movies, but I think like for Peter Sellers, Doctor Strange Love is, is the one you go for all the time. Yeah, I I do like the 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 Pink Panther. Um Ooh. I've not really seen yeah. that much Sellers to be honest. Yeah. Obviously, he worked with Kubrick on Lolita. Oh yeah. But um, that's not really a comedy. Yeah. Why do you think Kubrick never really did a comedy again after Strange Love. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there are elements in this of the um, the Kubrick tropes, I guess. Yeah. Uh, like you get the little zoom outs, and I suppose the the movement the, 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 with the plane. Yeah, there's that, and which there's now the, looks and a bit aged, the, but for the time, you compare it to other shots of vehicles moving through. 
I think skates. it holds. I think it holds apart. Yeah, I mean, you can tell that they're they're moving the. But, but I, I think, think it's like the... when the plane's crashing down and it goes up, and they obviously do it just with a model against. But but I think the deterioration of the human condition is quite a big thing for yeah. for Cubesy, which you're probably not able to explore as effectively in comedy without losing the laughs. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Barry Lyndon's the closest he came to a comedy after Strange Love. Yeah. It's probably the least watched. Yeah, I've seen Barry Lyndon. I saw it as a really little kid, though, and I, I just remember it as that. The main scene I remembered was when... Uh, the, the skirmish, you know, when he first marches yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His mate gets shot and he carries him to the, uh, like, woods and they exchange a little kiss. A lot of it was filmed at uh, Hardwick Hall in yeah. Yorkshire. But that's, what ice cream would you do for Barry Lyndon? Um, I mean, probably an Irish cream or something like that. Yeah. That might be episode 201. <laughs> 202. McConaughey's 202. 202, <laughs> okay. Well... But leave a while before doing another Kubrick. Well, the depth to 2001, for example, get about five episodes out of yeah. that. Yeah. How many ice creams can you, flavors could you make from? Countless, I suppose. I mean, you're spanning the world from its creation to its end. What, what is that in ice cream flavor? Maybe it's just ice and cream and it's absolute purest form. <laughs> That's going to be a fun episode. I'm not doing that one. <laughs> I think we'll leave it there. The film was Dr. Strangelove. The ice cream was tea, whiskey and honey. Any last words, Stu? And you don't have to make up a batch of Ashes ice cream, but if you enjoy ice cream in movies, just get yourself some ice cream, save up for an ice cream machine so you can do Ashes thing and get on a movie and uh, enjoy yourself. Yeah. I've been Stuart Yarlett. <laughs> I was Ash. This was Flicks and Scoops. Thanks for listening. Bye. Well done. You've made it all the way to the end. Or skipped through. Either way, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a gander at flicksandscoops.com for all my ice cream recipes and film tidbits. You can also follow the Flicks and Scoops Twitter and Instagram where you can see me attempting to be witty and artistic. Next time on a podcast, Stu's back for round two and we're looking at the good, the bad and the ugly. Bye! Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Ice, 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 ice cream.